Uh, my name is Peter Nittler, and I am the college pastor here. And if you are a kid who's used to running off right now, why don't you hold off? We're going to be hanging out uh, for the sort of announcement time, the church live time, so you can take a seat. And uh, by the way, welcome, all you watching the live stream. What a pleasure to see you. You look great. And um, it's my pleasure to tell you what's going on in the life of the church. So first, who are we? Who is FBC? Well, uh, FBC, First Baptist Church, we are a community of people helping all people discover faith in Jesus Christ and to grow in love for God and others and then to become ambassadors of hope uh, by the power of the Spirit in our neighborhoods, where we work, where we play, wherever. And um, if you are feel new here or if you are still looking to get connected or wondering how to, to plug in or, um, I don't know, what's the stream for you to feel like you're a part of this thing, it'd be great for you to fill out a Connect card and then hand it to um, someone standing at the Connect table, which I would stand was in the foyer um, here uh, before the service, and maybe it'll be there again. Hopefully it'll be there again. But you can just hand it to them. And if you're new, you'll get a special treat, maybe a five-buck gift card to somewhere uh, where you can enjoy some, some nice coffee drink, maybe a vanilla latte, you know, if you're not a black coffee kind of person. So, uh, or if you have any other thoughts or prayer requests, you could fill out a Connect card and take it to the same place, the Connect table as well. So let me tell you what's going on in the life of the church. Uh, first things first is that it's almost time, people. We are almost there. We've got all four of these babies lit. Just that one left, okay? And so we have Christmas Eve services coming up, and um, you can see the times right there, 4 and 5.30. Just a little tip, by the way. If you are wanting to celebrate the, with full Christmas joy, but wanting there to be fewer people um, near you and around you, whether for health reasons or for whatever reason, um, come to the 5.30. 5.30 is more sparsely attended, but it's full of Christmas joy still, and so we'd invite you to do that. But, um, you know, you could just sing songs, and you could just celebrate together uh, with your families at home, and, and that would be great. But how much better, as we've been having this four-week-long journey of waiting together, how much better to come back in this room and to celebrate and to sing together and await Jesus' return together and celebrate Jesus together. Uh, how much better would that be? And so we're going to be here, and we're going to be celebrating, and we hope that you are too. And if you have any friends or, or any family members that you want to come along with you, um, it's going to be joyful, and it's going to be everything that you've expected from, from all FBC Christmas Eve services. There will, of course, be treats and drinks afterwards for people to enjoy, and uh, we're gonna, it's going to be a great time. So 4 and 5.30, we'd love to see you here Saturday night. And then also, we're coming right back, like 12 hours, not even 12 hours later, uh, for a Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. It'll be shorter. Yeah, we got a round of applause. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, it'll be shorter, uh, low-tech, um, and uh, kid-friendly. And so if you want to uh, do some Christmas morning and come, uh, come here at 10 o'clock, uh, it would be great to celebrate the actual arrival of Jesus together. It's rare we get to do that. So um, that, those are, that's the scheduling. And then also, the next thing is that on Tuesday, we're doing the blood drive again. So a little bit of context about this. So on Good Friday of this last year, we did this blood drive. We hosted one at FBC, and we sort of thought it fit really thematically, where on the day that we celebrate, blood being poured out that actually cleanses us and gives us life, that maybe we could pour out our blood a pint at a time and actually give life to people. And that we can embody Jesus that way. And it was a raging success. Full slots, gave like a million pints of blood. And, uh, and so we are going to do it again here uh, this Tuesday. And um, let me just tell you this. So I received an email this last week about a, um, a woman named Jessica who was, everything was going fine in her pregnancy. Then at 22 weeks, um, surprise birth of her son, Seth. Doctors told her that he would most certainly die. Actually, no, absolutely he would die. But babies just don't survive at 22 weeks. 
And uh, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And six years later, uh, Seth is living and thriving. And um, crucial to that miracle was not just the prayers and God's spirit, but was 20 different blood transfusions that went through him um, in those early, early, early days and months. And so this is, when we say, or when, you know, blood drive, people say, like, this saves lives. Like, that's not a tagline. That's a real deal. Like, there's a human being who wouldn't be here if people didn't sit down, scroll through Instagram for an hour, and give blood. And, uh, and that's, that's what you can do. So you can sign up um, at our website. The, the blood drive's right on the website uh, front page. And there's uh, flyers that you could have gotten at the connect table. You can still get on the way back out. And there's a QR code you can sign up there. We'd love to give a million pounds of blood again and save a million pounds of, of, of life or whatever. But uh, also, there, uh, if you give blood, you get entered into one of three $5,000 gift cards, okay? Um, as I said that, that didn't sound right. But that's what I think I remember reading. <laughs> so, um, yeah, $5,000. So you can not only save lives. You got a t- and a T-shirt. Quas has a T-shirt. Wow. A guaranteed T-shirt? Guaranteed T-shirt. Wow. Um, which you could sell, of course, like $10, and you could be $5,000 and $10 in the hole. Um, but, uh, so that's it. I would love to invite up Mike Wall. I believe he is going to do something fun for us, and um, I will vamp until you get up here on the stage. I'm going to pass the mic off right now. Good morning. I'd like to invite up all of the FPC pastors and staff to join me on stage. And while they're coming, let me just tell you why I'm here. Every year in late November, early December, we put out a letter to the congregation, to you all, asking that you would consider giving towards a Christmas gift for our pastors, our staff, and our missionaries. And every year, for as long as I've been here, FBC has been very generous in making this happen. And even in difficult times, you've come through. And this year is no exception. So I'm here today to present the Christmas gift to our pastors and staff, or those of them who are here. And so while Dave is handing out the envelope, I would like to say just a few words to the people behind me without actually turning around and looking at them. Um, This is a, a gift of our love for you, our appreciation for all the things that you do for us, for teaching us, for leading us in worship, for encouraging us, and for challenging each one of us from the youngest to the oldest to keep taking that extra step, that next step in our walk with Jesus. And for that, we are greatly appreciative for all the work that you do. Um, We love you, and I can't think of a more talented group of people, uh, a finer group of people to serve with than the people who are standing behind me today. And so would you join me And a big, big round of applause to all of the people on stage here. So just on behalf of the staff, I mean, we just really want to thank you. We actually count it a privilege to get to do what we do. Um, And the fact that you would invite us into your lives and you would trust us enough to uh, form you, shape you, do the best we can in terms of shaping you like Jesus. We are grateful for that. And so this just feels like an extra kindness and an extra generosity. So we do feel your love, and we're so grateful to be a part of this church family. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it I feel more connected to this church family than I ever have. 
and I feel more love from you, and I feel a greater degree of, like, responsibility, and I just want to pour Jesus into you all. So thank you for inviting us in and being a, and being a part of this church family. We're really grateful. Um, with that, uh, you kids, you can find your teachers, but here's the thing. Don't run. Walk back to the foyer. Find your teachers. You get to go do that. Um, you get to have your own experience while us adults talk about God's love. And for those of you, why don't you stand up? Why don't you greet one another? And there's one topic of a conversation that you cannot have, and that is the World Cup. Because there are people who are waiting to go home to watch the World Cup. So do not dare you say anything about Argentina and France, but you can talk about Christmas. So go ahead and do that. All right, let's go ahead and grab our seats again. Glad you are here and you're joining us online. It is so good to be together during the Christmas season or what the church has called Advent to just recalibrate our hearts, to, to tune them again to the meaning of the season. And to that end, we've been in this series that we've called Give because giving is what makes this season meaningful and celebratory because it reflects the heart of the season of God giving his son to us. And so we've been relishing how God gave us um, Jesus in his coming. And we've been letting that cue for new and fresh ways that we can give to unleash kind of new wonder, new sensations of meaning inherent in God giving his son at Christmas. And I know that's happened because a couple of weeks ago when I said an aside about, my ra- about raccoons eating my prized goldfish as sushi, <laughs> you have been giving to me. I have found uh, goldfish crackers on my windshield. Um, Someone delivered goldfish to my house at home. And then some of the staff and friends, they gave me money to buy new ones. And so here they are, just FYI, there's some new goldfish. They are ready to go into my pond in the spring. Um, It was a goldfish Christmas miracle, right? (laughs) So thank you for making that for me. It made me laugh, but it also really touched me. Uh, And yet, once again, it reminds me of our church family and who we are and how we're trying to be those kinds of people who love funnily, but personally as well. So thank you for that. Uh, Speaking of love, uh, Mary was a doll whom my younger sister, Karen, loved. One Christmas, my mom and my dad, they bought that doll as a special gift to my sister. And Mary was not the fanciest of dolls out there. She had a plastic face, if you can picture it, long flowing hair, along with plastic hands, which made her look real. But her body was stuffed um, and to make her feel soft and squeezable, just like a real baby. Um, when Mary was brand new and pristine, my sister loved her. And then from then on, Karen loved her with a love so strong that I'm not sure it was for Mary's own good. Um, When Karen went to bed, uh, Mary was right by her side. When Karen had imaginary tea parties and friends over for, for play dates, Mary was a trusted confidant and full participant in whatever was happening with the war wounds to prove it. 
Uh, when Karen entered into a phase of being a self-appointed doll beautician, Mary was one of her clients, um, or should I say victim, for how it left Mary with a butchered head of hair. And so from Mary's point of view, Karen's love for her was strong and nearly fatal. And as a result, uh, Mary kind of became a mess over the years. Mary certainly wouldn't be considered valuable with that tortured haircut of hers, those permanent markings that smudged her face and her extremities. And undoubtedly, Mary would never be a collector's item at any point in her future, even with an extreme makeover or drastic plastic surgery. But for reasons I could not quite grasp, Karen just loved Mary the whole time. She loved her when Mary was pristine and new. And Karen loved Mary when she was raggedy, smudged, and a mess. Other dolls, they, they came and they went for birthdays and for Christmases, but Mary was the mainstay love for my sister. The boon companion for her on every long car ride that we would take for vacations. Every camping trip that we went on. And so everyone in my family, we knew that to love Karen meant to love Mary. And as an older brother, I knew that all too well. Um, I shied away from doing anything really devious to Mary, except in my lesser moments when I would use it against Karen to torture Mary, only to incur her wrath and my parents' instantaneous intervention. Even when Karen grew up, and left home, my dad very carefully wrapped Mary up and packed her away to save her for Karen. If I could borrow some words from John Ortberg and what he wrote about his own sister's affection for her doll, Karen did not simply love Mary because she was beautiful. Karen's love made Mary beautiful. See, that's the power of love. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's the kind of love all of us need. It's the kind of love all of us long for because we're a lot like Mary, aren't we? Raggedy, smudged, a mess with our sin and tangles that we have cleaned up for one another. It's why we do so much of what we do in looking for love. On our phones, with friends, with our parents in mind our search for the one. But love has come down at Christmas in God giving his son. The very love we need and that we crave has come. And in that way, he has also cued us to love as he has loved us. To give love is actually the inherent challenge of Christmas. But it's also a very powerful invitation as well to unleash something beautiful, something strong in another's life. But the only way that you and I are actually going to be able to do this for other raggedy, smudged, and messy Marys like all of us is if we internalize three love dynamics this morning. The source of love, the manifestation of love, and the stimulus to give love. So grab your Bible, 
Um, open up your phone, Bible app, if you will, and find your way to 1 John 1, excuse me, 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. If you reach for one of those blue Bibles in the chair in front of you or on a table beside you, 1 John chapter 4 is on page 1023. Are you there? I can hear some pages stopping at this point. Here's what John tells us about the dynamic of love in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Listen well. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever ha- loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, John here makes some incredibly audacious claims about the source of love. To begin with, he says that, that love is from God. It's as if John uh, locates the love that we experience in this world and then he traces its lineage backwards to the source. In a manner of speaking, John follows the love, the flow of love upstream to find out where it begins and he discovers that its headwaters is God. And so John concludes, love flows downstream from God. Love blooms with God as its root. Love lights up our world like those white, twinkling Christmas lights that we love as from an electrical source that is God. Love is from God, John says. But then he gets, he doubles down. He even gets more sweeping and audacious in explaining the dynamics of love. It's not just that love just comes from God. He also says God is love. God isn't just loving like we might describe the best people we know. You know, my parents are loving. You know, my my wife or my husband is loving. My siblings are loving. My friends are loving. My dog is loving. Definitely not the cat. But my dog is loving. But as exemplary and sacrificial as those might be in loving us, we could never say that they are love. Because no matter how much... Love they give. Love is something that they do, not something that they are. Love simply doesn't characterize them as it does God because love is so core. Love is actually so central to who God is. Love is something that God does, he thinks, he feels, and he's driven by to the point that everything he does is loving. He's lovingly just and justly loving. He's lovingly sovereign and sovereignly loving. He's lovingly holy and holily loving. 
Love is God's native tongue. So John is not just saying that God is a source of love. He is saying that God is the source of love. And that's why he could say everything everything else he did there. That anyone who has who loves has been joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And anyone who does not love has not been connected to God. Now, we might bristle a bit at that notion. Object a little bit. After all, we have seen Christians who don't love well. And we've seen people outside of the church who, who love really well. But remember something, we're eavesdropping on a section of a letter that John is writing to a very particular Christian community and the challenges that they're facing. I mean, to our counterclaim that we might give to John that Christians who don't love well, John would point out what else he said in this letter, that love is the evidence of a true faith in Jesus. But it's not so much a question of if someone is loving well in this exact moment, as much as it is a question of being more loving today than they were last year. The transformation and progress of from who we were by default into being a person of greater love is the evidence of faith in Jesus Christ, not simply a single performance of it. So John says this uh, to serve as a red flag for Christians to check themselves. This was to be for you and for me to look at ourselves and ask ourselves if we're growing in love. Like we've carved out in our purpose statement that Peter repeated for us. To, because to grow in love demonstrates if our faith is real or it's just hollow words that we say. To our other counterclaim of people outside the church loving well, John would probably agree with us, but he'd just quickly as point out how every person is made in God's image, which isn't fully defaced in our sin and our fallenness. And that secondary connection with God serves in their capacity to love and explains how love can even happen more broadly in humanity. And so John would tell us, no matter how you slice this thing, no matter how you dice this thing, God is the source of love. Any love we've experienced from people ultimately has its origins in God. But God has not only ensured that love has made its way to us through people, he's also manifested his love to each and every one of us very directly very tangibly. Remember what else John said here. He said, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God has left no doubt of his love for us. God's love is not just simply a theological ideal. It is not something we have to like psych ourselves up to believe because notice the love of God was made manifest. That is, God's love has been made tangible. God's love surfaced, so to speak, like a whale breaches the sea to reassure its pre- of its presence that has been there all along swimming underneath 
How so? John says that God did not wait for us to be interested or asking the questions about him. Rather, God initiated. He breached his love into this world and put it on public display so that all we have to do is look at that to know that God loves us. For one, John says, God sent his only son into the world to see Christmas and celebrate Advent is to see God's tangible, manifested love to us directly. He lived among us. He showed us what God is really like. He came to rescue us from ourselves and to point us to the way of thriving under God's love and under God's reign. This time of year, if nothing else, is a time for us to soak in how God has so loved us. How God initiated in love by sending Jesus without waiting for us to ask, without us showing any interest, without us having to make the first move. But for another, God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a technical term for sacrifice to atone for how we've hurt God and hurt ourselves and hurt others. And so he's saying to see the cross is to see God's tangible and direct love for us. It's to see how far he'd go to pay a debt for and atone for us, how much he'd sacrifice to be made right with us, all out of love for us. This is truly heartwarming if we would meditate on it. I mean, we recognize how very raggedy and smudged and a mess we are in our sin and tangles. And we are more cognizant of it than anyone else in this room, probably. Even to such an extent that we feel disqualified from love. Or that raggedness makes us feel less than enough for anything. But, 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 God looks on us as my sister did with Mary. And all we have to do is look at Christmas and the cross to snow it. And if we keep our eyes there long enough on Christmas and the cross, we'd even gain a sense of God's love so strong that it might even eclipse our doubts about it and our questions of it. It reminds me of a a story about Brendan Manning. Uh, He was a Franciscan priest, author, and speaker, and he's known best for writing a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, He grew up in the Depression-era New York City, and he had a best friend named Ray. And the two of them did everything together. And that included enlisting in the Army and going to boot camp and fighting on the front lines together. And one night, Brendan says, they, they were sitting in a foxhole together, And they were reminiscing together about their days in Brooklyn, and and Ray was eating a chocolate bar. Uh, Suddenly, a live grenade was there in the foxhole, and Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, and dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself on the grenade. And it exploded. It killed Ray, but Brennan's life was spared. And years later, when Brennan became a priest, he had to take on the name of a saint, and he thought of his friend, Ray Brennan. And so he took on that name, Brennan. 
And years later, when Brendan was visiting Ray's mother in Brooklyn, they stayed up late night one night having tea. And Brendan asked her, he said, she, he said, do you think Ray loved me? And she got up from the couch and she like shook her finger at him and she said, what else more could he have done for you? And it was in that moment Brendan said that he had kind of an epiphany. Uh, he imagined himself standing before the cross and wondering, does God really love me? And Jesus' mother, you know, pointing to her son and saying, you know, what more could he have done for you? That's a good question for us too, isn't it? Looking at Christmas and the cross in the distance, what more could God have done to show that he loves you? Then why are we so slow to receive God's love? Granted, it isn't instantaneously, it doesn't reverse our raggedness like on the spot. But why do we not receive it? And then seek to internalize it to let God love us and to do his beautifying work. I mean... Why have some of us kept putting God off and holding Jesus at arm's length? Your doubts and your questions, get them answered. But come to a point where you can receive God's love by coming to Jesus. Expressing to God how you trust Jesus to have lived and died and rose to give you forgiveness, to give you life and relationship with God. Why have others of us continued with those narratives in our head? You know, of self-loathing, not being enough, ingraining our hearts with how we have failed and how we have sinned. Why do we keep playing those tapes? I mean, some of that may be true, but it is not definitively true of us because we are deeply and profoundly loved by the most important and defining being in the universe. So receive God's love this Christmas. Interrupt those narratives that go on in your head with Christmas and with the cross. Why have others of us continued to look at our circumstances and use them as a gauge for how God loves us? Look at the cross. Look at Christmas as that gauge of love. And then use those circumstances, good and bad, painful and great, use those as prompts to celebrate or grieve the circumstances with God, the lover of our raggedy self. See, God is the source of love. And he has tangibly loved us at Christmas and at the cross. And then as a result, give love. Especially during this season where we're soaking, we're basking in God's love. Uh, Here's how John put it. He said, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us us. God has so undeniably and sacrificially loved us, we're to love others. 
In fact, John says to do so that even though God is invisible, his presence becomes undeniable among us, especially when goldfish show up as a Christmas miracle. Right? God loving us means we love others. And this is not an obligation for us to live up to as much as it is an internal stimulus, a scratching of an internal itch, if you will. Think of it like this. As I said before, love is God's native tongue. To receive God's love by faith in Jesus means to be joined with God and then to be immersed in his language like a foreign exchange student. We hear God's native tongue of love come to us. And we can't help but, you know, try out a few phrases here and there and words ourselves. We experience some success doing that and we come back to God for more of that language of love and try out some more words and phrases, if you will. Or we experience failure, you know, and we go back and we listen to God's native tongue again to help us out, to find new directions and to try out. And we just keep doing that over and over and over again. And all the while, we're increasing our fluency until we're so immersed that we start dreaming in God's language of love. That's how God's love works inside of us. It stimulates us to love one another when we actually are able to see it and detect it personally for ourselves. We don't have to try to do it, even when it's uncomfortable to do it. You see, since God has so loved us at Christmas and the cross, we speak his native language. We try it out and we give love. Don't dam up the love that God has extended to you or hold it with timidity. I mean, boldly let that flow through you. Don't get so busy as to neglect the love that God has given you so that you stop it up and it won't flow through you. You've got to attend to it. Don't retreat from people from the possible hurt that you might have with them because that love that you've gotten from God only finds its perfection in moving through you and making God's invisible presence undeniable to everyone else looking on. Take what language of love you have heard from God the Father and repeat it as best you can. Be in another's corner and not just your own. Be generous and serve. Stand up for the outsider and the disadvantaged in your circles. Speak up some of those hard truths that we'd rather hide. Be curious about another's interest and life. Give others the chance to help you and thank them. And when all else fails, when everything else we feel cornered and we don't know what to do, affirm what you can affirm. That's it. You see, we may be raggedy, smudged, and a bit of a mess, like my sister's doll. But we are loved with a love deeper and wider and higher than my sister had for Mary. We've been loved by the source of all love in God. And tangibly and deeply so at Christmas and at the cross. And so soak in that love this Christmas. 
Marvel in it. Feel the wonder of it. Let it interrupt those narratives in your head about it. But then don't stop there. Give love to others because that's God's intent in the first place. Let's pray to that end, shall we? God, our Father, so often we assume your love or, or we doubt it because we just can't personalize it directly for us. And so this Christmas, I pray, God, you would give us eyes to see. We ask that you would help us to increase our capacity to receive your love at Christmas and in the cross. That we might walk around and that we might be people where we live and where we work and where we play. We would seek to be the kinds of people who would give love and speak that native tongue that you have. And we pray that you would do this for our Christmas joy, yes, but ultimately so that everyone might see you and your glorious love given in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.